Hey friends, welcome to Halfway There. I'm so glad that you're listening. Uh, this is an intense episode, and I want to let you know that right up front because uh, there is going to be a really fairly detailed story about the Las Vegas shooting in 2017. Uh, it's it's a key part of our guest story. Uh, there's a lot of other pieces to it that's really great, but if that kind of thing is a trigger for you, I, I want you to just know that going up front, it's intense. And I share a little bit about some of my experiences with, with, uh, public shootings. It's a lot. So just know that that's out there. And you know what? Here's the thing. The Lord uses even those horrific, awful things. And you're going to hear that, uh, certainly in our guest's life today. So let's do that. All right. You're listening to halfway there. Episode number 303, Ryan James Miller and rediscovering identity. to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm so glad you joined us. Thank you for downloading this episode. Uh, and I know that you are going to get a lot from it. Friends, I want to remind you, you can find everything that we talk about here at halfwaytherepodcast.com. That's where we have the show notes. Uh, I know that people who aren't podcasters don't always like think about show notes, what that is. It's just a page on the website where everything about this uh, episode exists. So you can go and find it. Every link we mentioned, all that stuff is there. Plus, if you're interested, I know it's weird out there, but if you're interested and you want to uh, support the show, keep it running, you can click that Patreon button and uh, donate to the show on a monthly basis. Thank you to those of you who do that. It definitely helps tremendously. So I appreciate that. Uh, okay, so our guest today, I'm really excited to, to talk to him. He is a performance coach. Uh, he's the founder of the Foundations to Freedom Coaching Academy. That sounds interesting. I'm sure we'll talk all about that. Husband of 20 years, father to two daughters. I bet that keeps him busy. Our guest is Ryan James Miller. Ryan, welcome to Halfway There. Thanks, man. I appreciate uh, being a guest and, uh, you know, I, I have a podcast and so being on the other end and getting to just, uh, <laughs> just, just to share a little bit is always awesome. So thank you. I appreciate it. I love it. I know how that goes as a podcaster. You're used to asking all the questions and then all of a sudden you're <laughs> like, Oh, I'm, I'm on the spot. Well, okay. You're on the spotlight today. Love I it. Pre appreciate that. So, uh, the, you know, the few things about you, but obviously there's a lot more to Ryan. So tell us more about who you are and kind of where God has you right now. Oh man, we don't have enough time. So let me, uh, let, <laughs> let, me let me briefly, yeah, let me make it somewhat brief. Uh, so in this uh, most recent season of life, uh, what I've, what I'm really standing on and stepping through is a rediscovery of identity. Um, mm -hmm. and it's pretty profound because if you knew me, you would, you would say, well, you've already done that five, 10 years ago. Um, but uh, this was all catalyzed uh, with, um, I was recently, uh, back in 2020, developing my Foundations to Freedom Coaching Academy, or at least starting to work through and flushing out the content for that. And I was working with a consultant, and he asked me this question, uh, which was, um, I went through this devastating event, I survived the 2017 mass shooting in Las Vegas, lost a friend oh, yeah. that night. And so he said, you know, was, you know, he says, you think that was the moment that really kind of catalyzed all of this. He said, but he said, what about earlier in life? I said, you know, well, my parents divorced when I was six and um, I got into a lot of trouble in high school and I didn't speak to my father for 10 years. And, you know, I was sharing all these things. And he said, um, so you, you've moved past those. And I said, yeah. And he said, but have you really understood how they affect who you are today? Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, well, I learned to grow from them and, and I'm a better person because of them. And he said, no, no, no. Like, they're still impacting you today in good and positive ways. And so for me today, it really is about this constant discovery of not why God did these things happen to me, but more so God, these things have happened to me. And so therefore, how can I use them to become the best version of who you've created me to be and ultimately glorify you as the result of that? So that's a lot of the headspace that I've been in uh, as I'm continually developing myself. I mean, if I'm going to coach other people, I have to continually be pushing 
coaching myself. And yep. uh, so then investing that into other people as well. And it really just has been an unbelievably fruitful season of life that started again, probably uh, mid 2020 and has really now come to fruition uh, first of this year. Uh, and that is now going to uh, be a story that will start to be told in a book that I've just started writing about three weeks ago. Oh, very cool. Well, I'll look forward to that. You have to let me yeah. know when that, when that comes out. Um, okay. So yes, that, so there's so much there that I want to get into. Definitely want to talk uh, about that shooting. Um, I've got some really passionate opinions about some of that stuff. So we'll, t- we'll talk about that a little bit. Teaser yeah. friends, but uh, <laughs> I want, I, I, let's go back. Cause I, I like to hear kind of your story and you kind of gave us a, a brief insight into some of that. So where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Southern California, um, Orange County. I used to be <clears throat> super excited and proud to say that, uh, you know, beautiful place. <laughs> it's a beautiful area. Uh, I'm in somewhat of a bubble, I will say, you know, where I live in Orange County, California, which has been amazing. Unfortunately, again, like, you know, these are my opinions flinging out, uh, but just the um, compression of political agenda, overpopulation, uh, and insane increase in just cost of living and taxes has just created a lot of challenge in an area that did not used to be that way. And while I love living in, um, in a world that challenges opinion and idea, it's just, it's just starting to get pushed too far. And so uh, all of those competing things are having us questioning whether we stay here long-term. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so my family and I went recently went to San Diego, which obviously is further South, but yeah, I tell you, I would live there if it weren't so expensive and definitely not aligned in my, you know, <laughs> most of my beliefs. But yeah. uh, I, I just love it. It's so beautiful out there. I can see why people were drawn to to that place. But yeah, anyway, I, I grew up in Iowa, so California is exotic as far as I'm concerned. Right? <laughs> now I live in Colorado because that's mountains are also exotic. But anyway, so you you um, are so you grew up in in Orange County. What like what was that like? Was it a Christian family? What was it? Yeah. So, um, you know, my parents uh, attended a Catholic church that was in the area. They got married in the Catholic church. Um, they were practicing in the sense that they went to, you know, uh, church on Sundays there for the most part. Um, my parents got divorced when I was six. And so a broken home came into play very quickly. I was six. My brother was three. My dad did not leave well. Um, and that became a lot of or that created a lot of tension because my mom, my dad, despite my mom would was holding back uh, on helping my mom, giving my mom, my mom didn't work. She didn't have, you know, uh, she, my dad cut up all her credit cards. I mean, we had to start from scratch all over again. And so, um, so that was really, really challenging. So at that time, the Catholic church was great to my mom. They were there to support and kind of counsel her through that. We made our confirmation or I made my uh, first communion there, confirmation there, but really, again, it was kind of more of practice. It wasn't experience. Um, and so as I, I, I got older, um, you know, I, I had to learn to kind of lead the household at six, seven, eight years old, which sounds really funny, but my mom worked as many as three jobs as at a time, just to put a roof over our head. She didn't want to displace us from our community of friends. And, um, so she fought to stay there. Um, so there was just a lot of challenge early on in my life. You know, I was mowing the lawn by the time I was eight and my mom got cancer when I was, about 12, 13. Uh, and we, my mom went through three more marriages after my dad, finally the fourth one wow. stuck really well. Um, but during that time, one abused my brother, one abuse physically abused me. Um, my mom, when she got cancer, um, we kind of had one of those guys in our life, but he, they were having problems at that point. And so like I was driving my mom around at 13 and 14 years old because she couldn't lift her arms to drive because she had had a double mastectomy and couldn't drive. And so, you know, while it's like, it's great to live in orange County and I was very <laughs> privileged and protected in many yeah. ways. I mean, we were one of very few families, especially in my neighborhood that we never got new school clothes. We ate hot dogs and macaroni and cheese almost every single night. Um, you know, we never went out to eat because we couldn't afford that. My mom did everything she could, but she just couldn't be there as often as she would have liked to, because she would work a full-time job, come home, make us dinner, turn around and go back and work in the jewelry store at the mall until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And so, you know, we, we did a lot of daycare time and, um, you know, it, it was definitely tough uh, considering the environment that we grew up yeah. in. Okay. So, and it sounds like for you, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just I'm picking this up. God was sort of that thing you did on Sunday. It was and didn't like it was a practice, but not a like you didn't have a relationship and there wasn't any kind no. of you're like, okay, you didn't really think about God probably. No, I mean, again, you know, as a young kid and probably through the beginnings of high school, maybe my freshman year, we used to go to like a, um, I guess maybe it was high school group there. Another friend of mine went to church there too. And so we did some things and, you know, again, it was, it was kind of a part of life, but it just wasn't sticking other than the fact that this is what we had to do. Um, I, my later on in my freshman year of high school, I was attending a Christian churches youth group at nights because there was a girl that I was interested in. And so I would chase her there, you know, during the week. Um, But then at that point, I made some bad decisions. I started making some bad decisions. And I just completely walked away from the church and that experience and everything that went with that until fast forward all the way until I was 26. Uh, I had been married for four and a half years, had married my best friend. We had a young daughter um, and we started talking about divorce. Marriage was just really, really hard for us. We couldn't figure out what to do. Um, And I had an opportunity to sleep with another woman. Uh, By the grace of God, I did not do that. And as the result of that, waking up that next morning and being like, what, what am I doing? Like I was successful at that point, making good money, owned a home, driving a Mercedes, like all these things, I had a family, but I was just this hollow shell of a human being on the outside. And I remember saying to myself, I might as well give God a shot because nothing Mm -hmm. else worked. And ironically enough, walked into church that following Sunday, uh, August 13th, 2006. And uh, the guest pastor, not the senior pastor, but the guest pastor that day was preaching on what it meant to be a godly husband and a godly father. And for the thousand people in the room that morning, that message was not for any single one of them, but me and God was speaking directly to me. And so that was really the point of awakening for me to recognize that God was calling me. And if I did not answer, my life was going to go down in ruins. Yeah. Sounds like you, you basically tried all the other things, right? You were like, I'm going to, everything. I'm going to get the cars. I'm going to get that. Yeah. And drugs and alcohol and gambling and, you know, just everything that I could think of to, to, to scratch the itch, you know, everything that I could think of to try and fix things myself, to, to live the, the successful life, the good life, to, to, to do everything the way that I did not have it growing up. And I I ended up in almost the same spot. Like it was just incredible. And, and yet that's the way that, uh, you know, 15, 16 years later, I have realized that that's the way God has to work in my life is God has to ruin my life <laughs> to get me to realize what I really have in store for my life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you had all the things I, I find that really fascinating. Cause I think we sometimes particularly evangelical Christians have this idea that, Oh, people aren't happy, you know, without all with, without God. And they've got this, is it, was it Augustine or I can't remember who said the God-shaped whole thing? One of those yes. guys. Um, and, and I get it. I get where that's coming from. I think sometimes we take that a little too far, but you are literally an example of, Hey, I tried all those things and I, uh, you know, you, you tried to fill all the things that you didn't have growing up. And then you realized I ended up in the same place. I find that really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that, and you know, again, I'm jumping all around here, but I have been corrected from that way of thinking all these years later, Mm. because I went through that season of, I want to be successful. I need to be successful. Success is going to make me happy. Keeping up with the Joneses is going to make me happy. You know, running with the popular financially, you know, well-off crowd is going to make me happy. That blew up. I mean, that ended up resulting. That was 2006 when I came to faith. 2013, seven years later, we ended up losing everything. That was really the trailing result of all that financial abuse all those years later, coupled Mm -hmm. with the 2008 recession. And so when I lost everything, it was like, oh, okay, 
now I really see like I can't, I can't be trusted with anything good because that it becomes my God. And so therefore I am going to seek out poverty. I'm going to seek out the least that I possibly can. I, I became a pastor of a church uh, mm. during that season. And so I was just of this belief that like, I, I couldn't have a lot and I, I couldn't focus on success and things like that. And then I started to realize that that in and of itself was so twisted because like it, it was the sin that was causing me to focus on those things and not God. It wasn't those things causing me to focus, not focus on God. And so as I've righted that framing, I started to realize that um, what God has in store for us has nothing to do with us at all and everything to do with him. And it's our responsibility mm -hmm. to live into and to lean into whatever he calls us to. And if that's wealth and, you know, and riches, then great. And I'm going to do what I can to use that to glorify God and to encourage and bless those around me. But like, I, I can't, I can't say that's the evil. Like I, I, right. I am, and I was the evil, you know? So there's just been a, a lot of paradigm shift there for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you said something really fascinating there that you were like, okay, well then maybe I'm going to just run away from all those things and go. So I think this is, so now we're, I guess it's church history day, but uh, now we're into like uh, Francis of Assisi, right? Like he did that. He, he, you know, forsook his whole fortune to go and mm -hmm. whatever, live with the birds in the woods. But that like is also, it's like a whole nother uh, reaction to, to that, that thing. So take me into that. Cause I want to hear, I really want to hear about how you grew in that season between when you decided, okay, I've got to be a better father and husband and, and man. And, you know, going like nobody just decides overnight to go and become a pastor things like that. So like take <laughs> me through some of those things Yeah, and, and how, how you sense that God was kind of shaping you in those moments. Yeah. Okay. So come to faith, August 13th, 2006, uh, for the next year, um, we were committed to church almost every single Sunday, but we, we hadn't stepped away from the life that we were living before. So we were still out partying on Friday and Saturday nights, coming to church hungover on Sunday. And, um, you know, a lot of times what I put into the offering plate as it passed by or the offering basket was whatever I'd spent in the bar the night before. So it's like, my guilt says that if I spent 200 oh, in the yeah. bar that I dropped 200 in the, in the basket. And that was literally what was happening. And so then about a year into it, um, St. Patrick's day. So actually it wasn't even that six or seven months, St. Patrick's day, 2014, I mean, at 2007, um, my wife and I had a huge fight and that was because I spent all day drinking in a bar, uh, with some buddies. I came home way late at night after I was supposed to, we got into a huge fight and it was like, okay, we need to really take this seriously, or this isn't going to work because just church and just committing to like being there isn't going to do it. So we started to lean in, we started to serve, we got involved in a young marrieds ministry. And that was my first involvement into real church community. I became friends with the pastor that was leading that study. Um, I, at, so this is now 2008, 2009. Uh, as that was happening, I started reading David Platt, uh, Francis Chan. And so here's where the problem, though I, 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 Platt, especially like love that guy. I mean, Francis Chan too, even though he's kind of gone uh, off his rocker to some degree, at least again, <laughs> my opinion. But during that time, those guys were preaching uh, in, in different ways, like get rid of everything, live with nothing. And Platt was doing that by going out into the world and being missional, um, you know, in, in, into the 1040 window, Francis Chan gave everything up and literally everything and moved up into a, you know, into the hood of San Francisco with nothing and lived in an apartment. And it was like, that's what I want because I was worshiping money. And so now this is what I, so I kind of started to lean uh, into that. Yeah. Right. Like I was just, I was following because that's what made uh, sense to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading those guys, which then opens me up to Mark Driscoll of uh, Mars Hill fame. And as bad of a rap as Mark has gotten, well-deserved now, Mark was the person that truly woke me up to what it meant to be a real man in the Christian faith and to be a real husband and a real father, because I needed someone to yell in my face and tell me all the ways in which I was an idiot for not treating my wife the way that she was supposed to, and all the ways that I wasn't dating and investing into my kids the way that I was supposed to. And so 
that started to wake me up to the reality of, of living as the husband and father that God had called me to. So though the message two years prior, three years prior had started it, it was really listening to Mark preach fire to me uh, that, you know, from a distance um, through, you know, video sermons that was helping me do that. So anyway, so now I'm, now I'm starting to study. Mm. I'm, I'm very much, uh, you know, dig into things. I like, I go all in on whatever I'm doing. So at that time it was theology. We were at a Calvary, but reformed theology had really grabbed a hold of me. So I'm really getting sucked into that. I'm trying to figure out how to couple my gift of teaching and my love of teaching and speaking with being in church. Then I started asking to teach and preach uh, in like small group studies, which I got to do in our young marriage ministry. I got to do in our children's ministry. And then in August of 2011, I went on our missions trip to Haiti. So again, like just experiencing the nothing of nothings of society, which it was an, a life-changing experience for me being there. But while we were there, I was talking to my friend that was the pastor and said, hey, if you guys ever go out and plant a church, we want to go out and support you. And he turned to me and said, we've been thinking, and we're going to go out and plant a church, and we want you to do it with us. And I was like, what? <laughs> I've never been on staff. I've never had an official role in the church. And you want me to go like be a church planter with you? I, I don't even know what that means. And so we spent the next year praying on that, leaning into that. I ended up going to a biblical studies and theological training program up at Mars Hill in Seattle, uh, kind of bred me for that pastoral role. And then we planted the church in August of 2012. And that was the beginning of leading in the church. I was bivocational, so I was still coaching and consulting, uh, but also doing that in the church. And so that was kind of the beginnings of the awakening of this gift that I believe God had for me uh, to step into that role. Yeah. Okay. So I'm really fascinated by that. And I'm going to, so I'm going to, I'm going to push in a little bit. So this is one of those fascinating things where when people have giftings, like we, when we pursue them, right. Um, so like you met, you mentioned Mark Driscoll and you went, you went up there to, to study. And I'm going to, I want to ask you about that because when I, like I listen to rise and fall Mars Hill, like everybody else, just with a sense of grief, right. Because I think that so much, I mean, he, he, yeah, like, yeah, sometimes the, the pastor, the, the preacher has to be a prophet, right. And call mm -hmm. people out like you did, like you, you felt right. And say, Hey, no, that's not right. Do, do this instead. And there's a difference between that and being abusive, right. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of, was kind mm -hmm. of an interesting, it's an important distinction. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, so I think one of the, one of the key things I'm, I'm going to figure out how to write this or do something with this. One of the key things for a church leader is to be safe and that I'm not sure that we saw that anyway, but you were yeah. there. And so, so how did that, how did going through those studies shape you and how did that, that change how you saw the Lord and what kind of were those beliefs? I like to call this, you know, learning the way of Jesus, right? There's a, mm -hmm. there's one thing when we're, when you're following, you know, doing the Bible studies, doing the things, even leading, it's a different thing when you dig into scripture in that whole new way, you dig into theology and you get into like, okay, there's more here. You experience God in different ways. So I want to, I'd love to hear about some of that. Yeah. So I think one of the big shifts for me personally was this is going to sound like a bash and it's not at all. So please don't take it that way. But, um, you know, Calvary, uh, when we got saved there, and it was an amazing blessing for us. The church was such a gift. We learned so much as they just preached the word of God verse by verse, as we all know that they do. And, uh, and yet, you know, one of the things that Calvary teaches is that in some sense, we choose Jesus and that therefore in choosing Jesus, we have to continue to pursue him, to attach ourselves to him on a day in and day out basis. And as I got more and more into reformed theology, Calvinistic, you know, uh, theology. Uh, and that was what Platt was preaching. That was what Francis Chan was preaching. Matt Chandler, who I just, I, I fell in love with and still actually am to this day. Uh, Driscoll was something that I needed to hear, which was God is in control. God mm -hmm. had been calling me my whole life. When I was 
getting in trouble in high school, when I was getting into fights, when I was abusing drugs and alcohol, when I treated my wife like crap and, you know, committed the infidelity of flirting with other women and looking at pornography and going to strip clubs. And when I wasn't showing up well for her and when I abused money and when I gambled, like all that time, the Lord was pursuing me. I had no desire. E even when I say like, I'm going to give God a shot and I step into church on August 13th, 2006, that wasn't because I made a good decision. That was because God continued to grind me down as far it was, it was going to take for me to see that Ryan was not in control and God was. And so as I started to become awakened to the fact that the Lord had been pursuing me that he was fully in control of saving me and that he was never going to let me go regardless of what I did from that point forward. And by the way, he was going to empower me to hold on from every day from that point forward. I started to fall in love with Jesus in a way that mm -hmm. I had never thought possible because I started to appreciate the fact that I did nothing and you did everything and you love me. And by the way, like all these years later, 16 years after being saved and the days that I act like an idiot and come unglued and thank God, not in the ways I did before, but still in new ways now. And there is not a single moment that God ever stops looking at me and telling me that he loves me, that he's never disappointed in me. Like that, that was so mind twisting and mm. bending. It reframed everything. And so that season of learning and growing and studying under those guys and being around a, a large group, there was about 150 guys in our class that went through Mars, that Marcel training at the same time. Like we were all in pursuit of that same thing. And so it was just this illumination of who Jesus was and the power that I had inside of me that I had never realized before. And that's not a slight on where I was because where I was originally is what I needed, but where I was in that moment what yeah. was just absolutely mind blowing to me. Yeah. And I think that's really a key point uh, for the spiritual journey. And this is one of my messages, friends, if you like wherever you are on the journey, it's okay to be there. And mm -hmm. so don't let anybody tell you anything else. It's okay to be, if you're in a season of, of dark night, it's okay to be in the desert sometimes. Um, one of the mm -hmm. most beautiful things I ever heard was Laura Forehand said, sometimes the the desert can be beautiful. That's, you mm -hmm. got you have to embrace where you are. If you're in a season of learning, you embrace the learning, right? And you, and yep. you do that. If you're in a season of service, then that's what you do. And maybe you're in a season, there, there's lots of, lots of that, lots of them. So um, that, but you have to embrace it. And I hear you, I hear you saying that you, you did that and you, like you said earlier, you kind of go through everything, just uh, mm -hmm. just all in, right? So, okay, so you were learning, and then you go and plant this church, and and you're you're doing that. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, so um, you know, there was three of us guys that planted the church. That was August of 2012. Uh, one had been on staff, so he kind of knew what he was doing, uh, but never had planted a church before. The other two of us had never done anything like that before. So it was a lot of taking in from other people that had gone before us. It was a lot of study. It was a lot of pushing hard on each other. Dynamically, we were three very different people. Um, I, I'm a little bit softer now, but I am the just run hard and go for it guy. Um, the other extreme was uh, there was one of the guys was pretty mellow and reserved. The guy in the middle who, who was kind of our lead pastor, uh, he was kind of like a, a mix of both. And so there was just a lot of hard conversations mm. as we tried to, we, we led from, uh, from consensus. So, you know, it was, you know, we, we all make the same decision or we all agree to a decision or we don't do it at all. So that was great because it caused us to really learn and grow together to, to be gracious with one another. Um, but planting a church in Southern California is extremely difficult because there are so many large churches with so many programs and so many just amenities available to people that drawing people into a church of 30, 40, 80 
is really, really difficult to begin with and then to sustain. And as soon as you, which this is, happens in every church across the, the, the United States, but you know, as soon as you preach something that people don't like, they can just go on to the next flavor because there's 17 of them in their backyard. So there were some challenges with just creating some stickiness on top of that, because we were convinced that uh, reform theology was a core tenet for, for who we were as a church. It's a really offensive um, uh, approach to scripture for some people. And so that was really difficult to step through with trying to get people to resolve in their hearts that God was sovereign and he was ultimately in control and, um, and what that meant for their lives and how we responded and how we evangelized. So anyway, so there was just a lot, um, a lot of growth though, that happened and what was good for me. And this is what a lot of people don't talk about is, um, Amongst so many things that God did for me during that season, which that was eight years of my life until uh, November of 2020, one of the greatest things that God did in placing me into that role was he protected me. And, and what I mean by that is he protected me from myself, because mm -hmm. there was times that I started a business in 2011. And so business was difficult. Marriage wasn't always easy, though. It was getting far better. I still had the temptations outside in the world from different things. And when push came to shove, what would finally force me to make the decision to not lose my mind or to cuss up a storm or to go out and drink to like, you know, uh, to, to wash the day away was I'm a pastor. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm held to a higher standard and therefore I can't do that. And I can't live that type of life. And so there was this interesting protection that, that God had on me as the result of being in that role. Um, on the flip side, the thing that's, that's now being talked about a little bit more often as we're seeing more and more pastors struggling with mental health is it was a very lonely place. Yeah. Um, Everybody thinks that you're dialed in, you've got it together. They come to you because they need you, not selfishly, but just because they do. But then people don't typically come to you to support you. They do from the outside, but they're not regularly prying into that. And so it got really dark and lonely at times. Mm. Um, and even more so for my wife and my two kids who grew up in the church. Um, it, it, it was a really, really tough place for us to be at times because it just felt like we were all by ourselves, even though we had plenty of friends. Um, it just, it really felt like there was times when, man, we were just alone. Why do you think that is? Um, again, I think that, I think that there's part of it. I actually put it on me first. I think part of it is because we have to keep it together because that's the role that we're called to. And so it's like, I have to be the leader. I, I have to guide. I have to shepherd. Uh, even though I always knew I never took my eyes off the fact that Jesus ultimately was the shepherd and they were in his hands, but still you feel this responsibility and we do have a responsibility as leaders in the church. Uh, but then on top of that, I think there's just this assumption. And again, it's, 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 um, it's, it's just, it's worse in Western Christianity than probably anywhere else where it's the guy at the top or the guys at the top, they are there to support us. They're there to fulfill our needs. They're there to make mm. sure that we have a good church experience. They're there to help us through our sinful seasons. They're there to, and so when, 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 when we're in a relationship like that, well, if I'm, if I'm always the one that that's there for you, well, then who the hell's there for me? <laughs> yeah. And, and so I think that it's just, it, it, it's, it, it's a byproduct of the society that we, the church society that we live in. And because we look to a lot of the larger churches that have a ridiculous amount of staff and so many resources, I think it's easier to be in an environment like that and say, that guy, he's there for me because he's got 17 people behind him to support whatever people need. But for us, it was just it was just the three of us. And unfortunately, the other thing for the three of us was was we were very close. We were very tight. But as it related to the calling that we had in the church, we didn't spend extensive amounts of time outside of church with each other. We didn't have a lot in common outside of that in terms of just our hobbies and our interests and our families were in different places of life. So that put an additional strain on it. Mm. We were just, we were just different people at different times. Yeah. I have this theory. So I definitely, I, I know there's the the isolation. I've never been a pastor. I did study to be a pastor, but I've never, never been one. Um, I have this 
theory that it really, that it's often about that. You know, I hear you you're talking about expectations, but I think it's also because of when we put people into that pastoral role mm-hmm. that people struggle. Um, there's seasons of the spiritual journey that take away our identity. That's the dark night. That's the desert hitting the wall, whatever you want to call it, when God does that. And then he tells us who we really are. And uh, sometimes we can rush into that. I'm not saying you felt that way. I'd be curious to hear what you what you think. But uh, into into ministry because we want to we want to do these things or whatever. When really, what as a church we need to do, and I would say in the West, in the United States for sure, in evangelicalism is prioritize emotional, spiritual uh, maturity in that because otherwise we end up with situations that are really really difficult. And then what happens is it isn't not just the pastors that get hurt. It's the, uh, it's the whole church, right? Yeah, no, everybody suffers. No. And, and I think you, you bring up a great point. Um, I was not prepared to step into that role. Um, I had, I had no place being in that role <clears throat> to start. I learned really quickly how, how to be in that role. Um, but there, there wasn't really a manual and even, right. you know, there, there weren't a lot of great church planting networks. Now there are quite a few more. Um, so, um, so, so we're seeing a little bit more equipping there, but I mean, the three of us were trying to figure things out on our own and, um, and which is admirable have, by the way. Sure. But at the same, and, 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 and I'm a hundred percent confident that it was the three of us were individually and collectively called by God to that specific role in that environment. Mm-hmm. And like, no question about it. I don't doubt any of that, but we just jumped the gun into it. And, and if not again, for the, that cohort that I was a part of at Mars Hill through that season of life, I would have lost it. I would have never made it yeah. out of the first year of pastoral ministry. Had it not been for those guys that were outside of my you know, my eldership team that were there to walk through and support me in that, because I mean, I would just call crying because I couldn't understand why we couldn't come to see things in the, you know, in the same way. Like we all had a heart to serve and a heart to do right. But then we would have these massively like awful, you know, dividing discussions, arguments, and I would just call and I would just cry. And thankfully one guy specifically um, who is still one of my dearest friends to this day. Um, he was one of the leaders uh, in the whole, uh, in, in that whole um, uh, group at Mars Hill. Um, he, he was there to support me and walk through it. He, he was wiser. He had d- been doing it for quite a while longer. Mm. And so thank God I had somebody to lean on and he became the person that I leaned on over and over and over again. Yeah. And so you found somebody like that that could help you. In, in yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, it was by accident. I mean, not, you know, I mean, it, it was totally the Lord, but um, yeah, I mean, just yeah, he yeah. happened to be the guy that was kind of placed to, to care for us uh, in our cohort. And um, little by little, it just, he, he, he showed me different ways that he was just a, a kind hearted a wise guy. And, you Mm. know, when I would reach out, he was just there and he would answer questions and he would support. And then I would bring him bigger problems and he would be there (laughs) for those too. And, um, I mean, there was a couple of, couple of moments of life, like some of my worst moments of life. Like I picked up the phone and called him and he was just always there. Yeah. I love that. That's, um, that's really important. And that's the kind of discipleship I'm talking about, right? We need, we absolutely need those people, friends that might be you. I don't know where you are in life, but if you can serve, support, care for, be a listening ear, uh, either somebody in ministry, somebody you think is called to ministry, uh, help them on their way to, I think the maturity it takes to actually, uh, serve in that position. Well, that is a really special calling. Um, okay. Can I, can I, can I speak to one thing right there? I know this, yeah. is, this is your jam, but, I, but because I think this is super important. So this is one of the reasons why I focus as much as possible on serving men now, uh, mm. because the majority of us, and I'm going to say the mass majority of men, uh, were not taught how to deal with our emotions, yep. um, fear, shame, anxiety, 
uh, you know, all of those things. So we weren't taught how to deal with them. On top of that, uh, our natural reaction and response, the sinful one to experiencing those emotions is anger and rage, which gets displaced typically when we react and respond on our friends, on our family, on people that are close to us. So, so we, we need to figure out how to, to bring people into, to lead them through and teach them how to deal with those things. And we can do that in safe places. And I think a big part of it is like you're doing on the podcast is just talking about it and being, and, and giving people more of an awareness, men, more of an awareness to the fact that we feel them, we experience them. It's okay. And there yeah. are ways to, in a healthy manner, deal with them to step through them. Right. Yeah. And we have to learn those things, right? So yes. absolutely, which is what you're, what you're doing. So good. I want, I do want to talk about that, but I want to, to first ask about, um, so may, maybe this season was a dark night of the soul for you or a spiritual desert or whatever, but also you, you go through what could only have been a dark time. I don't know how else to describe it in the, the shooting that you talked about. So mm-hmm. what was your experience there? And uh, maybe you want to t- take us about that. Maybe you want to tell us about some other dark season when you felt like God was far away. Um, I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, no, no, no. I, that, that That's totally fine. And it's always helpful for people to hear. So, um, you know, as I quickly alluded to October 1st, 2017 uh, was the mass shooting uh, at Route 91 in Las Vegas. Um, I was there uh, with my wife and five of our friends. Wow. Um, that was the second year we had been to Route 91. We're, we're huge uh, live music people, huge country music people. That was our 17th concert that year, uh, just in 2017. Uh, so last night and, uh, you know, the last night of the event and we were just dancing our hearts out. Ironically enough, I have the moments, uh, that for the first gunshots rained out on video. I didn't know mm. that until quite a while later. Um, so, you know, we're singing and dancing and, and, uh, we heard what sounded like fireworks uh, because you would never expect gunshots in an environment like that. And, so, um, after the first series of really heavy fire, uh, was, came out and Jason Aldean ran off of stage, everybody was like, oh my gosh, like there, something's really bad here. He must've reloaded. And when he, he shot again, everybody hit the ground because now we realized that something was happening. But for most of us, and in my head, and then talking to so many people after, we thought it was coming in from the ground level. Uh, the entire property was surrounded by a wall. And so we thought that it was somebody on the ground that was coming in over, just like terrorist attack coming in on the city. Yeah. I kind of likened it to years prior, uh, there was a, um, a group of body armored guys that marched through downtown LA, just literally shooting everybody. And, uh, and that's kind of what I felt like we're just under attack. And so we're laying on the ground. Um, and as we go to get up, um, my wife yells, my wife is screaming cause somebody's on her leg. And as I'm trying to grab her, she rolls over and she's yelling, uh, because she's yelling, Nicole was hit. Nicole was hit. Mm. And I look over to my right and one of our closest friends, Nicole, uh, who my best friend was dating at the time. Um, she's laying face down and she has blood coming out the back of her. And mm. so we, uh, roll her over and we try to get up. We're trying to, you know, get our bearings together because now the crowd's about to go crazy, which they start to stampede and they're running like nuts. And so I'm holding onto my wife with one arm and we're trying to, I'm trying to pick Nicole up from the feet. My best friend's trying to pick her up from the, under the arms and as crude as it sounds, I mean, she was just dead weight. Like she was still alive, but she mm. was just slowly losing life and, and we couldn't pick her up. And so, wow. um, Gunshots rained out again. My wife goes down and there was a split second moment that I had when it was like, I can't believe I'm about to do what I have to do. And then I just jumped on top of my wife and just laid there and I just cringed, just waiting for something to happen. And, you know, it felt like an eternity and, and it stops and we try to move Nicole again and just can't. And, and, and this is all like just, you know, seconds are, are, are you know, are, are happening and trying to make decisions as best as I can. And it's like, I have a two kids at home. Like I'm not going to let something happen to my wife. And so my friend stayed with Nicole just out exposed. And we were on the side that was taking the heaviest fire. And, mm. and I grabbed my wife and we just, we ran off to the side. There were some bleachers off to the side and we ducked down below those. We were trying to get under them, but we couldn't because they were already filled like a sardine. Everybody was under there 
And you could hear people calling to whomever a loved one and they're crying to them and saying goodbye to them and oh, hearing people praying out to God. And so I'm trying to keep my eyes fixed on my wife and keep my wife's eyes looking at me instead of anything else, because we're trying to stay focused and we can hear fire pinging off of the bleachers and you feel it going by you and hitting the ground. And, oh my goodness. and so there was this moment when I didn't think it's been a long time since I've said this. There was this moment when I didn't think we were both going to get out. And so I looked at my wife in the eyes and I told her I loved her. And it was just, I felt like it was potentially the last goodbye, like just in case. And then I reinforced that with like, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Like I had to keep telling her that though I had no idea what was about to happen. Yeah. And I turned back out and there's Chad, my best friend, he's standing out over the top of Nicole and there's just carnage everywhere. And like, I, you know, it's like you, you want to do something, but I wasn't going to leave my wife's side. And so we waited for another break and fire and we were able to get towards part of the back of the venue, but, but they weren't letting us out that side. You had to go all the way across to the other side of the venue, which means we were going to run across a football field that was wide open and gunshots are still ringing out. And I mean, you know, in reality, this all only happened in like 12 or 13 minutes, but it felt like two hours. Oh man. And we get to the other side of the venue, we get out, they, they march us into the basement of the Tropicana hotel or into uh, an employee lounge and there's blood everywhere because, you know, people were hit and they were just running. And so there's blood on the walls and blood on the floor. And I don't know if like the terrorist invasion is still happening or if now we're going to get bombed, like you just, all these things are going through your head at once. Yeah. And, and so we're sitting at this table, my wife and I, and I'm trying to collect myself and trying to hold on to her and, um, and every noise people are freaking out and I get a phone call and it's Chad, my, my friend. And, and that was when he told me that Nicole was dead and the paramedic that was off duty had, had walked out to them after the fire had stopped and, and had called it. And I just lost it. I just absolutely yeah. lost it. And, um, so, you know, long rest of the story short, we ended up in the very bottom basement, which I didn't even know existed of the Tropicana after that. And after a couple of hours and, we realized at that point, my wife had taken her hat off and she said, Hey, she says, I think something hit my hat. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There was like a burn mark in her hat. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Wow. We'll come to find out uh, a couple hours after that. So now we're like at four o'clock in the morning by now we were back in a friend's hotel because we couldn't go back to ours because we were staying at the Mandalay and that's where the shooter was. And right. Um, so they were doing the investigation there. And so we're sitting in our friend's hotel room and I take my wife's hat again and I looked at it. And she had been wearing it backwards. It was like a foam trucker hat and a round of ammunition had gone through the crown of her hat, passed through the other side, grazed the inside of that foam hat and never touched her head and never took it off of her head. Wow. And there was just this moment of like, oh my gosh, like as devastated as I am right now for what I watched losing our friend. I was an eighth of an inch away from having my life ruined. Yeah. And so that, you know, that experience just, it, it was so much like that. And, you know, weeks later, and there's a story to, I walked away from the job I was working and back into coaching for myself. But, you know, when you talk about this, this dark space and the presence or absence of God, ironically enough, I saw God in it the whole time. Like, mm what, why people will ask all the time, like, why, why do you think that happened? It's because there was a sinful, wicked human being that maybe there is some, uh, uh, some backstory to it. And maybe there is some conspiracy to it. But at the end of the day, there is a I sinful, wicked human being that had access to far too many weapons and far too much ammunition. And the sin that lives inside of every single one of us happened to come out of him in a way that took the lives of 58 innocent people that night and ruined the lives of 22,000 people. But that, but God didn't do that. As a matter of fact, even in losing our friend, like God was there and everything happened for a purpose and God protected my wife's life. And my life is better, as horrible as this is to say, as the result of what happened that night, 
I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better friend. I'm a better coach. And I am absolutely a better man of God as the result of what happened. Why do you think that is? Because as cliche as it is to sound, and I mean, there are probably 15 devastating moments in my life that were either personally, emotional, spiritually, financially, um, and, and this one, for the first time ever, made me realize how precious life was. And like, a, a, my wife's life could have been taken. Like she is, there, there was a time in my marriage when I didn't care about my wife. When I was con- considering leaving my wife and what, what, how good life could be if I found somebody else. And I realized what God had given me in that woman and how devastating it would have been if I would have had to go home to my kids and tell them that their mom was no longer here and what my life would have looked like all these years later without my wife. But not just that, like there was 22,000 people there, 58 people lost their lives that night. Why was I one of the ones that was saved? Mm, Sure. God, God didn't do that by accident. God protected my life because I still had life to live. And if I go back to my theological awakening, like God created me for a purpose. God saved my life. Jesus died for me specifically, Ryan Miller, for a very specific purpose, not in some general sense of throwing a net out. And all those those years later, on October 1st, 2017, God preserved my life because my life wasn't done. And so therefore, how can I ever go on another day wasting a moment of my life? I have, I have people to invest into. I have a family to live for. I have things to do, and I have a God to glorify every single day. And I, I just see it as the most incredible gift. And I would not have seen that if my life wasn't almost taken from me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing all that. That is obviously it's intense and, um, you know, it's, there's, I can't imagine even just being in that kind of a a situation. Um, you know, so what you, what I haven't shared with you and I don't know if I've shared it with my podcast uh, audience, but, um, not as dramatic a shooting, but my kids went through a shooting at their school as, as well. And so, I know at least a little bit about some of those feelings going, are they going to be safe? Are they going Mm -hmm. to be okay? Is, you know, what's going to happen? All those thoughts that go through your, through your head before you know, everything is fine. Right. Like, um, so, um, I saw the desk where my son hid and he showed us two weeks later, we got into the room and he said, I was hiding under there. Right. And you see these other, other things that happen. Um, and you're right. Absolutely. It's sin. It, it is, it is sin and th- they need Jesus. They need, you know, shooters need Jesus. Also, I think we, need, there's a lot that we need to do. And I think Christians need to wake up and put your politics aside and figure out how to serve people. Um, because it's not okay. The tremendous access to horrific carnage that people have, I get it. If you want to hunt, whatever, there's lots of things I could go on for a long time about that, but I think it's a God, it's a God issue that we need to, we need to look, look at this, um, look at the availability of guns in the United States. That's all I'm going to say. If you guys don't like it, <laughs> go ahead, send me an email, eric at ericdemons.com. I will talk to you. Um, I want to talk. So thank, thank you for going into that. I, I, it is a really intensely, uh, personal, you know, experience and it's, it, it is, it will it sounds like you responded to it by going, yeah, not going to waste another minute. Um, all right. So you started, so when, when did you start? Um, you mentioned earlier, you started the foundations to freedom, um, you know, kind of as, as part of that. So tell me, tell me about that and what you're, what you're doing and uh, you know, how you're, how you're offering that. Yeah. So, you know, that happens in 2017, uh, 2018, I, I go through that journey myself for the first time of realizing that uh, while it's amazing to be good at things, it's amazing to be successful and to have a healthy family and a happy family and a good life, like 
there are specific things that God calls you to that we can't afford to waste. And so I started off on that journey for myself, fast forward all the way to 2020. And as I was coaching a lot of successful individuals, particularly the men again, um, what I was recognizing was all these guys with really good values, Christian men, a lot of them, um, were still caught up in this prison. And the prison was, if I just achieve one more deal, if I just get through one more season, if I just get my business to this point, then. And the then was is filled with, then I can enjoy more time with my family. Then I don't have to bring my work home with me. Then I can take weekends off. Then I can go on a vacation. Then I can start investing into my health and get into the gym on a regular basis. Then I can play golf with my buddies, whatever. Like there was just all these things. And, and it all came back to, again, not the evil of success, but the, but, but the need to reprioritize what success meant because that success just became prison and their belief that eventually they were mm -hmm. going to get out of it on their own. So I hired a consultant again, to draw more of the stuff out of me. Cause it was all in my head, but it hadn't really been put to paper. And so we created a journey that helps men re-identify who they are as human beings. So I call that the foundation. What is your purpose? What are you most passionate about? And what are the guiding principles that are going to keep you, the guardrails are gonna keep you online as you pursue that calling in life. From that foundation, then we wanna prioritize the roles that we're living in and the roles that we're called to. We wanna build the right habits and disciplines around that. And then I want to get them to this place because this is the place that I want to be, uh, which is I don't want to live for goal achievement. The goal achievement's great. Mm. I've got a lot of goals. I'm a business owner. I want to achieve them. I'm a coach. I help people set and achieve goals. That's wonderful. But the goals are a means to an end. What ultimately I want out of life and I want for other men in life is I want to give them freedom, the freedom to do what they want, when they want with the people that they want. And when I say that, that offends a lot of people because they're like, how dare you say that you want to do what you want when you want? And I'm like, no, 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 no. What you missed is we started with principles and a clarity of purpose. So if I'm living out the purpose God calls me into, then what I want, when I want with the people that I want becomes a good God glorifying thing. It becomes a healthy thing. And so for me, what that's looked like in this season of life is I work 30 hours I take every Friday off. I only see clients three days a week. I play golf with buddies every Friday because that's part of the freedom to enjoy my time with my friends. I rarely, if ever, take my work home. My days are typically done by 4 p.m. Pacific time. I go to the gym every single morning and don't start my days till 10 a.m. Pacific time. Like, I want to live the life that I want to live. And I want to give my family that same life. We will take a vacation when we can. We will go enjoy, you know, a, a, a day away when we can. And there's sacrifices in that. Like, you know, I, I'm, if I'm only working 30 hours, I can't bill for 50. So, so there's some give and take that happens in there. Yeah. But what I, but what I realized more than anything was, is once I started to live in this freedom, I actually started to become more successful mm. because I was, in, in, in my lane, doing what I love, doing what I was equipped to do. I was enjoying it because I was constantly filled up with all the freedom that I had outside of just coaching. And so then it was allowing me to invest. And so we created a, a digital uh, go at your own pace course that they can step through to do that. Uh, and then a 10 week coaching Academy, which is done in a small group setting. So not only are you learning and asking questions, but you're doing that in a community of other brothers that are stepping through the same things that you are. So it becomes collaborative in the process. And then that rolls into uh, an annual mastermind that they can continue to flush those things out and then share that in community too. Yeah. I love that. That sounds like uh, it can be really beneficial. Where can people find it? Uh, foundations to freedom.com. Foundations to freedom.com. So foundations yeah. spelled two T O uh, freedom.com. They can go there. You can learn more about it. There's a free video there that they can opt into. They can watch the first video in the series so they can see whether or not it even makes sense for them to continue. Um, but more than anything, I believe that at its root, the reason that we see so much brokenness, apart from the need for Jesus, which is the most important thing, the reason that we see so much brokenness in this country and really in this world 
is because men have failed to step up to the roles that they're called to. And it's because they become buried in other things. And so I believe that part of the outcome that will be produced through this coaching academy is equipping men to go back out into the world and lead and be the providers and the protectors that God has called them to. Okay, that's great. Um, Ryan, thanks so much for sharing some of your story with us. I really appreciate that. And I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, is there, so again, that's foundations to freedom.com. Is there anything else that I, uh, you want to leave us with? I, I tell people all the time, the one liner is, um, you know, if you want the most out of the life that you are living, be yourself. I love it. I think that's totally right. And there's a way I call that finding yourself in Christ, right? Mm. Love so it. good. Hey, thanks a lot, Ryan. Thanks. Thanks.